Hello, welcome to the Pretty Pixels podcast. I'm your host, Tab London. And I'm your host, Joey Crunwell. What are we going to be talking about today? We're talking about motherfucking Resident Evil Village. No, we're <laughs> our main course, our feature is we're going to be talking about grad school and gaming or anxiety mm. and gaming. We were sort of talking about those as two different things and eventually we're like, we can't really separate them because for both of us, yeah. grad school is very stressful, very anxiety inducing. And gaming was part of the thing that that helped us get through it. So we're going to talk about our experiences with gaming and grad school. Mm-hmm. And especially since that's such a significant chunk of our lives. Um, so, yeah, those two things are very, very closely tied together. But we'll we'll get to that. Yeah. And I have. Um, oh, sorry. Go go ahead, ahead. sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. I, I was no, just going to was... say, <laughs> I have to edit this out later. No, um, I, I was just going to say that I had a very specific kind of realization in grad school with regards to gaming um, mm-hmm. and how I play games and how I enjoy them and what kind of games help me. So right. um, I definitely wanted to, to delve into that. Yeah, yeah. I think this will be interesting to uh, reflect on. But before we get to that, what do we have in the news? Not that much, honestly. Um, there's a, there's so much, and like I said, I, I really don't want to get into the cycle of covering the Apple versus Epic thing every week, but as you pointed out in one of our discussions off mic, there's just so much interesting stuff that's just being trickled out. I had like oh, yeah. three things that I was going to mention, and I was like, no, let's just cut it, cut, you know, cut it down to one. <laughs> um, one of the things, and I don't remember if this was, if this came out in the Apple versus Epic things, I think it did. Um, but Epic reportedly offered Sony $200 million for PlayStation exclusives for the Epic Games Store. This mm-hmm. is from gamesindustry.biz. Uh, they were also in discussions with Microsoft for exclusives. Uh, but according to the report, they considered Nintendo a moonshoot, quote unquote, yeah. uh, which is understandable. Like, good luck any other platform getting a Nintendo game. Right, right. Um, especially at this point, like there's there's. The Switch is so successful that they mm-hmm. they have a lot of leverage. But um, I'm assuming the offered Sony 200 million means that Sony didn't take it. But mm-hmm. recently there was that story that we talked about where Sony invested another 200 million into Epic Games, mm-hmm. and Epic added. Aloy to Fortnite. So something's going on there. There's some relationship forming that I don't think we're seeing all of. And I'm wondering, like, what are the fruits of that going to be in a year or two, you know? Right, because we're seeing licensed content directly being added into Fortnite, like you said, in the form of um, Aloy. So what what else is in store for the future? There were some leaked Fortnite characters that I'm not going to, oh, yeah? I won't even mention. Okay. Well, okay. Oh, I can. One of them, the one that surprised <laughs> me the most was Samus from the oh, Metroid really? series. Yeah. Again, oh. they were leaks. They looked pretty credible. I think mm-hmm. it was in those documents. And I don't know if it meant that they were trying to secure the rights or that they have the okay. rights going forward. I didn't really look into it too much because I was like, I don't really want to know. Mm-hmm. But in a case like that, like a Nintendo character in Fortnite that's one of those things i'm gonna have to buy that fucking 15 dollars skin and never use it but uh, um of course resident evil village released uh Mm -hmm. it's gotten lots of positive reception um seems they i think they just reported three million copies sold so it's going pretty well for that i'll talk about that and what i've been playing mass effect legendary Mm -hmm. edition comes out this week we're both picking that up you almost bought is that friday yeah friday yeah okay okay 
Um, and that then I'm going to miss my copy. <laughs> <laughs> and you're going to miss your custom controller that shipped. The custom controllers finally shipped, and it's like it'll arrive by the end of the day Thursday. No, I'm heading out of town. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about this like a month ago. We ordered these beautiful custom controllers from a yes. company called Colorware, and then we both got emails saying. Sorry, due to like COVID and increased demand, mm-hmm. these are because these are the, this is the first time they were um, offering the the DualSense customization. So yeah, uh, they got flooded and they were like, we're gonna have to delay a week or two, and so we kind of just put it out of our mind. And then you just sent me a screenshot of your shipping notification, and it's like, oh, that's so exciting, but it's probably <laughs> gonna show up when you're out of town. So yep, exactly. <laughs> oh well, I'll have I'll have two things to look forward to. So two, yeah, two pretty awesome <laughs> things too. Um, speaking of awesome things, uh, that was really not a great segue, but, um, Sony reports that they also, uh, expect PS5 shortages to continue into 2022. This is from Gama Sutra. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, it's, it's, I'm, I'm doing that really kind of shitty privileged thing where I have a PS5, all my friends have PS5. So it's like, well, you know, I guess, but I've seen people mm-hmm. on Twitter that have, actively been trying to get one since launch yeah and i imagine for those people it must be incredibly frustrating i know it's not sony's fault they've been producing they want to sell consoles i think (laughs) i don't like going into comments threads on these things on these kinds of stories because people are just being incredibly salty and really vicious but which again i understand that people are upset that they can't get one but um it's not you know sony wants to sell these consoles they're not like holding out on people uh if, if you're going to be mad at anyone be mad at the scalpers that are setting up bots and buying mm-hmm. hundreds and trying to sell them for a small profit like that exactly that's the people we should be mad at um and then the last thing i have i know you said you didn't really have um anything of note which i i, I was i was scanning the sites i'm like nothing's really going on but mm-hmm. giant bomb uh dot com they have a podcast called the Bombcast. And three of their founding members, Alex Navarro, Brad Shoemaker, Schumacher, I can't remember, uh, and Vinny Caravella are leaving, and no one really knows why. I haven't listened to the Bombcast in a long time. I used to listen to them pretty regularly, uh, but I see a lot of people pretty upset about it because they were one of the kind of um, OG crowdfunded podcasts, and they have a a huge following, Mm -hmm. and um, so I, I... I can understand there there are a lot of upset people and it, it was sort of shocking three founding members just just right. gone and I mean we just started our podcast what a couple months ago mm-hmm. and so I'm not going to say that that maybe they were intimidated they saw this <laughs> new this new <laughs> podcast they were like how can we compete <laughs> Oh, my God. This is us manifesting more things into the universe. (laughs) They looked down the road and they were like, in six months, it's going to be embarrassing to be in the same space as this podcast. So (laughs) (laughs) So I I, I think I should get that out there now so people understand the real reason that they left. The the real reason. (laughs) You heard it here. (laughs) Um, But okay, I think that's, that's about enough news. What have you been playing, my friend? All right, so today I played a indie game uh, by the name of Adios, and it's by uh, the developers Mischief. Uh, played it on Steam, and I I, I want to be careful about what I say because it's very much a narrative-driven indie title, and if I say too much, 
it might like it might reveal a okay. little too much, you know what I mean? Because gotcha. it's a relatively short experience. I think it only took me like an hour and a half to to get through. But essentially, the year is 1992, hmm. and you are playing a protagonist who has, for the past, I think, 15 years, been disposing of bodies for the mob on your farm. Hmm. And you decide that you want to quit, but there's no – you can't really quit the mob, right? right. So there's, there's going to be some uh, – you know, consequences for that. So basically the game takes you through a series of scenes and um, there's fully, fully voiced dialogue with the protagonist and um, the like mob representative. And as you go through those various scenes, you kind of get these um, snapshots into the protagonist's life over the past, you know, 15 or so years. Mm. And you, there's also some interactive elements. So you you feed your horse, um, you play horseshoes, you talk through one of your hobbies, you go fishing, things like that. Um, and essentially, it's just it's the story of a man with a complicated past who's saying goodbye, as sort of alluded to in the title. Right. Um, and you know that like fate is not in his favor. Um, the writing and the voice acting are really good, and I would say that it's worth a look um, just for that. It is currently $17.99 on Steam. Um, I don't regret that price, but I know some people are like, if a game's too short, I don't want to spend more than 5 bucks, so maybe wait for a sale. But I definitely um, recommend Adios if you're looking for an interesting indie that is very, very narrative um, you know, focused. That premise is really intriguing, you know, because mm -hmm. you it, I think what indie games do a lot of times is they investigate the little corners, the dark corners that yes. big dramatic stories don't, you know, and of course, in mob stories, there's always like, oh, we got to get rid of the body. And you think about, well, right. okay, they dump it in the river, they like bury it on some guy's farm, but we never hear the story of that farmer who allows them to do that. And like, why would mm -hmm. you do that? And what kind of compromise position does that put you in? So that's that's super interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely have to check that out. Yeah, yeah. And then um, the second game I started started playing last night. I was feeling very I've been feeling very restless this week, um, and I I bought an external um, hard drive for the the PS5, and I downloaded like fifteen <laughs> PS4 games. I was like, I want them all, <laughs> um, and I just freed up some space on the main console storage. But anyways. Um, I downloaded Far Cry 5 and Far Cry 3, and I've been playing Far Cry 5. Um, I It's my my second – no. Third, We'll, we'll right? call it my second – I'm sorry, what? It's your third. You've played it twice before, haven't you? Yeah. The third one, though, was a quick – Like kind trophies. Of just, yeah, and okay. I, I'm doing more like cleaning up of stuff and doing like the in-game achievements. Gotcha. Um, and just kind of working through that and really cleaning up the map and stuff. Um. And I think where, where I had previously left off, I had just entered into, like, Jacob's area. So there's still quite a bit of story left. Mm. Um, but I'm focusing on just, like, the little things. And I don't know. I just – I like the Far Cry fr franchise. And I just – I like Hope County and what they do with it. And I always find, like, the propaganda elements to be interesting. So it's just a nice space to sort of exist in, which is probably something I'm going to talk about when we get to our uh, our featured content for the day. Um, but those are the uh, the two the two games that I've been playing. Cool. How's how's my girl? Um, oh God, what is her name? Faith. Faith. No, not Faith. 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 Faith's pretty banging. No, the um the naturist. 
little crazy. Oh. Is it, oh, it's not Jesse. What is it? It's like it's something with a J, isn't it? Yeah. It, are you sure it's not Jesse? Maybe it is Jesse. I'm gonna have Jesse to look it up. White Run. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I I loved her commentary. I like having her as a as a sidekick in that mm-hmm. and. And like I said, I was glad that I, you know, I liked her as a sidekick, too, because she was silent and stealthy and she, like, didn't just rush in. I loved the bear, um, Cheeseburger, but that motherfucker just, he's like, bad guys, go. (laughs) Oh, yeah, there's there's no subtlety there. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah. So what have uh, you been playing? I finished my platinum run for Arcade Spirits, which means that I played through all of the, I romanced all of the characters, I romanced none of the characters, all that stuff. And I just really like that game. I mean, there's some interesting, I don't have much to add that I haven't added before, but one of the things that I want to add about the writing that I didn't really realize until late into my, this is my second playthrough, Mm -hmm. um, which I don't even know if I call it a second playthrough because to get all of the endings you have to play through multiple chunks of the game so um but one of the things I, I recognized about representation that i thought was interesting is like there's some good i think some pretty good representation in this game in terms of sexuality and gender but the thing i like about it is that that comes secondary to character and again that's something that i didn't even really realize is like mm-hmm. in some games with representation i think um the developers probably with very good intentions are like we want to be representative so we're going to have uh, this kind of character that kind of character but that becomes their their driving characteristic of their identity right right and then everything else comes after and that i think that sometimes leads leads to unfortunately some problematic stuff so you're like well this is going to be our and our gay character and... right exactly yeah because yeah. if you're the gay character then you have to have certain attributes and then so you shouldn't lead with the thing Um, And in this game, they don't do that. You get to know all the characters. And it wasn't until probably, if we're counting multiple romances, probably like my fourth or fifth playthrough, that I realized a certain character was uh, non-binary. I was Mm -hmm. like, oh, shit, I didn't even recognize that or realize that because they don't really, it comes up in conversation naturally. Mm -hmm. um, And they don't make it, again, like the the main thing about their personality. Um, And then the same thing about a character that ends up being... um, I don't know if I would say gender fluid, but they're definitely working through their feelings about gender. Mm-hmm. And again, you don't learn that until late in their specific playthrough. Um, there's hints of it in other playthroughs if you do it. Like you'll kind of get hints of it in some other conversation. But their personality, their behavior, things they like and dislike, all of that comes first. And then that identity kind of stuff comes later. And I thought that was really, right. that was really cool. So I really like that game. But of course... What I've spent most of my days recently since Friday playing is Resident yes. Evil Village and I have a lot to say about it. So I'll try to keep it short, but not really. <laughs> so this is not technically a review. This is not really like a review podcast. We don't get review copies or anything, mm-hmm. but I do want to keep the first part spoiler free. I'm definitely going to get into spoilers, but I'll drop a, a spoiler tag before then. Um, so we went over this. I'm, I'm really glad I'll start by saying that I went over that overview uh we went through the retrospective and Mm -hmm. i went through the story again and recently played some of the other titles because i think that um kind of shone some light on some specific things of the story but again i'll get to that when i get to spoilers as far as the game goes i loved it 
Um, I don't think it's my favorite Resident Evil, but it's definitely up there. Probably, it's definitely top three. Um, Resident Evil 2 Remake is probably still my favorite uh, by a pretty comfortable margin. Um, and then maybe the Resident Evil 1 Remake or Resident Evil Village is one of those two. And I think one of the things that it does right is it finally gets the balance between kind of stationary atmospheric horror and um, very kind of fluid movement action shooter kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I prefer the reason the Resident Evil 2 remake and maybe the Resident Evil 1 remake are like my first and second favorites are because I like the more stationary stay in one spot. Um, And what's one of the reasons that a lot of hardcore Resident Evil fans were receptive to Resident Evil 7 was so one of the so the the games had been moving toward these like action oriented shooter kind of games where you're moving from level to level very quickly and fans weren't really liking it unfortunately Resident Evil 6 sold a lot of copies so I think Capcom got conflicting messages and they were like well we want to make our fan base happy but we want to appeal to a lot of people so how do we marry these two things and they were they were leaning more heavily toward the action and they they moved away from that with Resident Evil 7 and went back to you're mostly in one area there's a lot of locked rooms there's a lot of clever level design and you're moving through the space and learning things and finding little passages and stuff like that so hardcore fans of the series were very happy it sold pretty well and so they moved a little bit more toward the action oriented in this one and it, but they don't completely completely abandon the idea of like you're in one spot. In fact, there's a few big areas like houses that you stay in for a while and solve puzzles and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, I mean, and you watched me. I think you'll you'll confirm this. It's still pretty forward moving though. Whereas like Resident Evil Seven, again, you're stationary a lot of times. You do end up moving to other areas for a little bit and coming back, right. but you're pretty stationary. In Resident Evil Village you're pretty you're pretty much on this forward momentum throughout most mm-hmm. of the game especially after you get out of the castle um which wasn't a bad thing i think they actually pulled it off like in theory if you'd told me that before it came out i might be a little bit worried but i think they pulled it off i think the action the shooting is really good everything is so smooth um so the gameplay i think is is great because with resident evil 4 that's when they first started mixing some of these like shooter elements into it I don't think it was super successful in Resident Evil 4. I mean, it was successful. Of course, everyone loved it. But um, they were trying to mix horror elements with shooting elements. So they made your shooting really unstable. And it was really hard to aim and that kind of thing. In this one, the shooting is very smooth, very accurate. Um, It's more about enemy movement. Like, that's what makes it hard to hit them is that they're moving in very weird ways. It's not that your gun is shaking, you know, um, like in Resident Evil 4. So... I I love the gameplay. The game is gorgeous, like absolutely gorgeous. I so I was watching it through the screen share um on the PS5 and even with that <laughs> being streamed. Yeah. Um I was impressed. Yeah, and I I am going to post a bunch of screenshots on my blog newgameplus.com. so if you want to check that out, I'll probably be up within a week or two. Um but because I don't think I can fully describe how beautiful these this engine is the re engine um the thing that impressed me most though was two things number one the variety of textures and lighting combinations like there are so many different 
kinds of wood and stone mm-hmm. and rock and curtain and wallpaper and carpet and clothing. There's so many and they're so very different. And the way that the light interacts with them is very different. Like the, the screen, I posted a screenshot to Twitter. And the reason I like that screenshot to talk about the engine is because there's a window. So there's a light source and the light coming through that window is filtered through a, uh, an, an, what is it called? That kind of curtain. Not an embroidered curtain, but like a lace, a lace curtain. Okay. Um, and so it's this very soft white light coming through, but it's bright. And it's reflecting off of, again, like three different kinds of wood, a painting, like the canvas on a painting, the frame of the painting, which is very ornate and elaborate, um, the carpet on the floor. And so like you get the sense of so many different textures and and the way that the lighting interacts with it in just this one picture and the game is filled with that there's so many different areas different houses different you know i'm I'm getting a little bit into spoiler territory i'm trying not to say specifically what you what spaces you go into (laughs) but you go into a bunch of different kinds of spaces and every single one of them has its own artifacts its own resources and visual elements and I'm, I am, of course, there are still, there was still some shortcutting. There was like trees where the branches were two dimensional. And there's like one grandfather clock that I see copy and pasted throughout many of the houses. But for the most part, right. It it was, yeah, I I don't know. It was just very beautiful with all of the textures. And I said this with the demo, but like the different sources of light are noticeable, but it all looks very natural. Yeah. Yeah. It's stuff that you you saw the glimpse of in previous games. Um, And it's finally starting to, you know, these companies are finally starting to have the, probably the memory in terms of the hardware Mm -hmm. to be able to pull it off. Um, The way that the light reflects off your gun and your, the way your gun is textured, it's just, it's such a beautiful game. And again, it's hard to, uh, <laughs> it's hard to, to describe that. I feel like you kind of have to play it to, to understand. And the thing that's par- partially so impressive about it is that, again, it's an action horror game. So you're expected to be scared and moving through these levels and not really looking at stuff. You kept being like, I got to check this. I got to, I got to look. Yeah. <laughs> because it's, it seems so carefully crafted too. So another good example is like if you go through a cave, in most instances, from my understanding, a, de- a developer will take, you know, the, the visual cave textures and just sort of like copy them and make it look mm-hmm. like a cave. All of the caves in Resident Evil look like they were really formed through geologic process. Like it looks like a real or or carved by hand. It all looks so unique. Uh, none of it looks copy and pasted. It's so impressive. So the game is beautiful. Now I'm going to get into spoiler territory. So if you haven't played Resident Evil Village and you want to be surprised and you worry, you're you worried about spoilers, check out the show notes in the show description on the podcast and you know go to the next timestamp because I'm going to get into some spoilers here. So in terms of the story, I was, I was very happy with it. Um, you and I were talking about the ending, and this is one of the reasons I, I wanted to uh, get into spoilers a little bit is because at the very end of the game, and again, Last spoiler warning. This is a huge, huge spoiler here because I'm going to spoil the very end of the game. You have been warned. (laughs) Multiple times. Uh, Ethan, the protagonist, dies at the end of the game. He sacrifices himself to allow Chris Redfield and his daughter to escape 
um, him, he explodes this detonator that blows up the entire village and the mold underneath and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of people that I've seen online are like, you know, rightfully, well, some people are, there's a lot of jokes about being happy because people don't seem to like Ethan very much. But, um, oh, poor Ethan. Yeah, poor Ethan. <laughs> the shit he, that he goes through. Yeah. <laughs> his fucking limbs, man. Yep. Um, but there's a revelation near the end of the game, which I think is, we've talked about it from Resident Evil 7. So if you play Resident Evil 7, you probably have a fair idea of where Ethan's character is going. Um, he is special, not in that he can like regrow limbs as a human or has some kind of power, but in that he actually died in Resident Evil 7 and was rebirthed through the mold, the fungus from Resident Evil 7 that created Evelyn, the, the antagonist from Resident Evil 7. So he's basically a mold creature. And that's why he can regrow his you know limbs and he can like pop his hand back on and just pour some healing juice on it and it's fine um he gets his heart ripped out he comes back to from that so like he he regenerates because he's made out of mold and so in resident evil 7 they explore sorry resident evil village they explain that the enemies in resident evil village are a different kind of mold so at one point, there's a revelation that there's two, they're, they're a different kind of mold. Because, okay, let me back up. Chris Redfield, his part in this story is that he and this team of, of people, uh, of, of other paramilitary people, are trying to investigate and, like, stop this force and all that kind of stuff. And so they've been, you find little stations of their research throughout the game. And in one of them, they confirm that this mold in in this village is different than the mold found in louisiana mm -hmm. which is the mold that ethan is made out of and so the mold underneath this village they they talk about it like a database so this mold can store dna from anything it comes into contact with the antagonist of this particular game mother miranda is trying to basically recreate her daughter who died a long time ago like many many years ago like I don't, I don't remember i want to say hundreds or thousands but a very long time ago so she's trying to use the mold and the database because the database has has her dna encoded in it she's trying to find a vessel to basically give like to re rebirth her her daughter mm -hmm. um and ethan blows it up at the end and so the idea is that mother miranda can like mimic anyone she wants because this this mold has their dna in it um and this dna can give birth to anyone because you know it has their dna in it and so in theory when i first finished the game i was like oh that sucks because not only did ethan like blow himself up he could have come back because he's a mold creature but he blew up the database which has his dna and then i remembered but he's not from them he's not that he's not mold from that dn that from that database he's from the louisiana mold and if he's still alive and, and communicating with Evelyn, which he is because he has this hallucination, then that means that that mold it's, it has its own database and that's still alive. So these Resident Evil games go in trilogies. 1, 2, and 3 were a trilogy. 4, 5, and 6 were a trilogy. And now 7, 8, and I bet 9. Yeah. I bet Ethan's going to come back. That, that's my yeah. prediction. Um, another reason I'm glad that we went over that, that the... Um, the recap of the story is because we talked about the BSAA from Resident Evil 5, which is the organization that Chris was a part of and secretly it was being run by Wesker. 
Uh, so he got betrayed or whatever. And that organization, like, that's the only game that it was really in. It was, like, a major part of. And so I kind of thought of it as, like, that's eh, one of the many organizations that they came up with. And who cares? Well, guess what? They show up in this game as well. So I noticed before I finished the game that on Heisenberg, one of the enemies, like, little little crazy conspiracy board, he wrote BSAA come. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. I wonder what, I, that, what a weird little Easter egg. But at the end of the game, BSAA actually shows up. And not only do they show up, they show up with paramilitary soldiers that are actually bioweapons. They basically look like ghouls or zombies with tactical gear on. They were the guys in the helicopter, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so that the next game is essentially going to follow Chris, supposedly, who's going to Europe, I think, or Europe or France to the BSAA headquarters to take them down and i'm i'm very curious to see how that that plays out do you think because of the way that they're setting this up that that game will even be more heavy on the action i i don't know i think it would be a mistake but it might be because the very final stretch of this game of village is very heavy action but i think they Mm -hmm. sort of do it in a way to almost kind of show off because they're like oh you know here's all these different kinds of weapons and um go do what you want here's a bunch of ammo kind of thing um so i feel like it's it's supposed it was supposed to be a little bit of like a relief in most resident evil games the very end of the game is you running like having to dodge zombies and freaking out because this countdown timer is going you know and this thing is going to blow up and in this game it's almost like they reversed it and they were like here you don't have to worry about a timer just go shoot a bunch of shit so so i think maybe but i i think it might be sort of like that where it's like in little pockets i think the core of the game is probably still going to be slow paced mm-hmm. spooky spooky time okay all right cool. cool but yeah so that's uh i i have so much more to say but i we should probably <laughs> <laughs> move on lady d is there's not enough lady d but some of the other characters were actually pretty cool the doll donna oh <laughs> i love that whole section of the game that was very creepy so freaky yeah <laughs> So I I think that was the best section of the game just from watching it, but it was pretty short. But I feel like it kind of had to be. It was very intense. Mm-hmm. So I think it would lose its intensity to a certain degree if it was if it was too lengthy. But yeah. Um. So that's what I've been playing. I'm I'm on my I'm almost done with my second playthrough now. Resident Evil games. I've seen people complain about the length, and you know, it's like we were talking about. People, some people, especially if you're new to the series and you're expecting like a 30-hour game, I can see people being surprised and disappointed. But um, that's about average. I, I finished my first playthrough in about 13 hours. Um, but the games are made to be replayed. There's so many unlockables, and you can get infinite weapons and different kinds of unlockable weapons and things. And so I'm, I'm definitely. Well, it's like I've seen a few people complain about Returnal and they're like, I think they're flexing, honestly, but they're like, oh, I beat the whole game in like five hours. Oh, shut up. It's meant to be replayed <laughs> over and over yeah. and over again. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but this isn't what we've been playing, but we both watched the Mortal Kombat movie with our friends. Yes. Do we want to talk about that? I think we both liked it, but not loved it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought that it was okay um i if i had to like give it a rating i think i would give it a six out of ten um it just it it had some definite pacing issues 
Um, regardless of the fact that it's based on a franchise that isn't necessarily known for its story, it still has some pacing issues, some narrative issues. There were a couple of, I think, kind of problematic things. Um, but also just on like a technical level, the acting was all over the place yeah. and the sound design was so bizarre. Yeah. Um, like you said, it was okay as a B movie. And if you go into it with that mindset and are just looking to like have a fun time with that kind of movie, then I think it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And what I was talking about was budget. Like if you told me that that was a pretty low budget movie, I would be like, wow, that was amazing. Like they did a lot with that budget. But if you told me it was a high budget, which I haven't looked into the budget, so I don't know. But if you told me they spent like $100 million on it or something, I would be a little bit like, huh, (laughs) what, (laughs) what did they do with that budget? Because yeah. Um, there were, like you said, it was, I, I guess, uneven is a good word because there were parts of it where I was like, wow, that's amazing. Like the fight choreography, special effects were really cool. Um, 55 million. That's kind of a lot. That's kind of a lot. It is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> um, a lot of that was probably special effects. Yes. But, uh, but, but yeah, I think it's all about expectations. If you go in and you're like, it's a video game movie, how bad could it be? I think you'll be really impressed. Um, for, for video game movie standards, it's very good. It's probably one of the better. Think of Far Cry. Oh God. And you'll be impressed. (laughs) Don't think of Far Cry. (laughs) Um, the, the, we, we should have a segment where we just watch, we watch a bad UA bowl movie every, every week. Uh, how about just once a month? Yeah. (laughs) You haven't seen, um, Oh God! What is it? What I've only it seen the Far Cry one. I know. So. I want you to see Alone in the Dark. That you was. Do it. I literally almost walked out of the theater for that one, <laughs> and I am not one of those people. I do not yeah. like walk out of the theater. That was the only game. So there's only two movies that I've ever had like a bad theater experience in terms of the movie itself, and not people being assholes. Um, that one was one of them. Literally almost walked out, and then Catwoman. I fell asleep in the theater. Oh. Yeah, which was surprising because I love I love Catwoman, but. Um, yeah, but let's, let's do that then. We'll watch, uh, Alone in the Dark. We'll watch Blood Rain. Ooh. That's a good one. I haven't seen Postal. We'll watch Postal. Uh, Ron, right, Ron, right. that, that's when we'll get Ron on the podcast. We'll have uh, him on to talk about Postal. Cause all right, there we go. He's played the game <laughs> and he's watched the movie. So we'll have to see okay. if he'll, uh, he'll, he'll be a guest on the show. Um, okay. So anything else we want to talk about before we get to our, our main mm-hmm. course? nothing other than um i have very i've had like diarrhea slow building (laughs) excitement for mass effect yeah but let me just throw this out there the only mass effect game that i've ever completed was andromeda and i know how the vast majority of people like thought of that but whatever um i'm very curious though like, what is it going to look like yeah. on the PS5? How is it going to, like, play? How is it going to feel? Um, so I'm, like, low-key excited. I'm really happy to hear that because I, you haven't talked about it that much. And I don't want to, like, I've never wanted to, like, push. I've been, like, so, distancing myself from any right. discourse. Yeah. So and I, I didn't kind of going into it. I, I didn't want to be, like... Are you excited? Are you excited? Because oh for me, when people do that, I get less <laughs> yeah. excited. I'm like, stop yeah. putting pressure on me because now I feel like I have to yeah. like it. So like this fucking game. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. I'll fucking play it already. So, <laughs> yeah, I make no guarantees that I'm going to like play through the whole thing. Yeah. I might get through the first one and be like, eh. 
But that that would be a tragedy because the second one is the one that everyone oh, agrees so put, is like oh, the best. Expectation. Oh my god! <laughs> just we'll play see. through we'll see. three of them. That's it. That's all you have to. <laughs> oh, just give three of them a try, and then you can. Well, how long? Um, They're very how short. How long do you think the first one? Two hours, max. I I don't remember. I would say something probably like twenty to thirty hours, but I don't remember. Oh, okay. It's probably. It's been a long time, and it's it's definitely not like a Skyrim where it's a oh, okay, huge okay. open world game and you can go do a bunch of stuff. Um, it's it's a, almost like a pseudo open world game because there's big open mm-hmm. areas where, that you travel to. Okay. Um, and there's only so much you can do in that area. So if you want to be exhaustive, you can probably turn it into a 40 to 50 hour game. Um, but I would say on average, I don't know, it's been a long time, so I might be wrong, but I'm I'm thinking probably 20 to 30 Okay, so it sounds a little more like um, Tomb Raider from 2013 than, say, The Witcher. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, okay. yeah absolutely. All right. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know who you're going to bang. <laughs> <laughs> we'll share all the deets. Speaking of banging, should we talk about grad school? <laughs> <laughs> God. Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. How, how do we want to tackle this? Um, so I guess we should start by saying that this is definitely just our perspective and we're not trying to, um, necessarily recommend video games or these particular video games as ways of like managing. I thought you were going to say we don't necessarily recommend grad school. That too. That, that too. Well, I think by the end of this discussion, people might be like, you know, actually, never mind. Um, but but yeah, like we both went, we both ended up, you know, based on our different experiences with anxiety mm-hmm. and depression and things like that, we both ended up going to therapy. Um, we both, you know, you, there are many ways with which you can, uh, or are many ways to approach mental health, mental health. And mm-hmm. we both explored several of them. Um, and so, you know, we're not again we're not advocating that like video games are a way to cure anything or treat anything right um but we just want to talk about our experiences with it so i guess we should start with with grad school and stress and just talk about why for both of us did grad school notch (laughs) our anxiety and other related mental health issues up by quite a bit well we're gonna have to condense this <laughs> so we both started our um master's degrees in the fall of 2013 mm-hmm. and for me i really had very little sense of like what grad school would be like um as an undergrad and before then you know i took my my studies relatively seriously i was a good student yada yada um but going into grad school basically everyone is a good student, right? Or everyone's expected to be a good student. And there's a lot of expectation to perform. And some people expect you to compete. And sometimes that comes from faculty, but it also comes from your, your, your peers, fellow students. Um, And I mean, it's grad school in an English department. Um, There's not a lot of hand holding. 
Not that there necessarily should be, but I think transparency is always nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, a little bit of guidance is, is key. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> definitely going to be holding back here. <laughs> but for me, I moved out of state to go to grad school. So I think that added to the stress of um, living away from everyone that I knew for the first time in my life, living on my own, you know, being fully responsible for bills and all that jazz. And then having that burden of, well, I'm here. I made the decision to be here. I have to do well. Um, And grad school has a way of just like fucking with your head, I think. Um, Do do you have anything you want to add to like the initial kind of into grad school? I mean, uh, yeah, I think I just want to add about the mentality that changes. Because like you said, I was also a good student. And as as an undergrad, I had close to a 4.0. I was always taking five classes. I was getting a's and almost all of them and always doing my homework and all that stuff and so i was definitely like a good um achieving student i I hate the term overachieving but i was an achieving student um did everything that was expected of me and all that kind of stuff and then as you said we came to grad school and there's an instant mentality shift because as an undergrad there's the idea that you're doing this so that later you can get a job like you're Mm -hmm. doing this. This is very separate from your career. And when you're done, you'll get a job kind of thing. Um, And I think you're just you're looking at as like I'm going to school. So when when you have time for a break, like spring break or winter break or something like that, like that's a break. Mm -hmm. When we started grad school, I feel like the mentality and so much of this is like cultural is like the grad school culture or academic culture. And so it's sort of like hard to point to a specific thing and say well here's where we learned it here's where's like yeah the grad school or the academic bible there's nothing like that it just is all sort of unspoken um culture that that gets into your brain and the mentality in grad school is not this is just school it's this is your work now like you Mm -hmm. should always be working and so um, it's not I'm going to do my homework and then I can do whatever I want. It's I'm going to do my homework, but I have more homework than I can handle because grad school gives you more than you can handle. Yes. Um, and you're teaching. Uh, yeah, I was just going to say, and we were both <laughs> teaching for the first time. Right. And they give you, didn't they give us two classes straight yeah. out the gate? Yep. Yeah. So it was like, whoa. So you were almost balancing two two worlds but they were connected because it's both academic but like i'm trying to remember if my first semester i took two or three classes um but you're taking two or three grad level classes and you're teaching for the first time like so you have these almost two major poles but you're expected to give 110 percent to both right i was so used to taking five classes that when i started grad school and they were like oh a full load is three classes i was like yeah right oh my god that's so easy easy but the thing is you have in my mind, you have three things that you have to worry about in grad school if, if you're teaching like we were. So you have the yeah. the coursework that you're taking. So you're taking courses, mm-hmm. you have your teaching, and then you have the, and this is like a huge nebulous bu- bubble of like stuff that you should be doing for your career. So that's yes. publishing or doing committee work or um, volunteering, making connections. Making connections. Yeah. Right, exactly. Conferences, that's a really good one. Um, And so all of that takes so much more out of you 
in part because of the expectations because you're never there is no breaks you know what i mean like again when you're an undergrad you're like oh i'm an undergrad like i'll do this and then i get a job i take a break whatever when you're in grad school you're like and like you mentioned helpfully so you're surrounded by people who are very smart and very Mm -hmm. successful and you're seeing them do a lot of work which is a blessing and a curse. Um, right. It does motivate you. You're like, oh, well, then I, I need to do a lot of work. Yeah. But then you you legitimately start to lose um, sight of who you are and what kinds of things that you value because you're told that, you know, I, I, number one, there's a whole thing about imposter syndrome, which I know is like, you know, rampant in many different fields. Mm-hmm. But in academia, it's absolutely... You know, you hear, you go from, again, like you said, being one of the smarter people in all of your classes to, at least in your own mind, being one of the dumber classes, or d- dumber people. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I sound like I went one to of the those. bottom of the list. <laughs> right. We were in our, our cohort. Um, we, had, we have a, a class, um, English 600, where we had to take to basically kind of onboard us into the first year composition program mm-hmm. as new teachers. Um, and it's two semesters of uh, essentially teaching us how to write syllabi plan courses, all that kind of stuff. It's a really valuable program. But in our cohort, uh, in the first week, everyone was going around introducing themselves and and just the way that they were talking. I was like, I don't belong here. I'm so these are these are actual smart people that were born for grad school. And I'm Mm -hmm. some, you know, first gen, you know, just military background kind of dumbass. Like, what am I what am I kind of doing here? So um (laughs) So I, I'm yeah. I'm starting to get into my own stuff now, but like I feel like I just wanted to add that like a lot of it is just cultural, um, and just from day one there are different expectations in grad school than there are in undergrad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And then to further complicate it, there are different expectations for PhD students. Yeah. Um, one of the lines that I will always always remember: I was sitting in this class, and the instructor was very very intelligent individual um and they they knew their stuff but was kind of an asshole and one of the things um that they said was your phd comes first family never yeah and i was like oh and i have complicated feelings about family to begin with but even i was like excuse me because you know you're talking to a room full of like 16 17 maybe 18 people different backgrounds some of them who like were married had kids Mm -hmm. like how you say that to them there's this definite disconnect between academia and like the rest of the world yeah um and we at times were very much expected to do that very thing of just like, well, academia is your world. And what's really sad and unfortunate about that is that academic academic world very rarely includes your health and your wellness. Right. It's just produce, 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 work, work, work. What are you doing? You know, you have a couple days off. What are you doing with that time? You have summer. You're expected to pump out some publications. Why aren't you, you know, signing up for more conferences? And it's like, I I don't know how you went from your master's straight to the PhD. I took almost a full two years off 
before making the decision of like, yes, I do actually want to do the PhD. And I mean, that allowed me to come back and say, okay, I very much have a purpose. I'm doing this in four years. I'm going to get in and I'm going to get out for like my own sanity. Well, I, I've never said this to you, but I envy you. And I think that there are many factors at play. So I'm not saying this is the, the sole mm. one or even the main one. Um, but you started, like you said, almost two years after I did, and you're finishing before I am. Mm. And I think that that break might have had something to do with it because I went straight from my MA to my PhD. And it mm. seems like a mi very minor thing. Like day-to-day -day classes seemed almost exactly the same. Right. But the expectations were, again, ratcheted up. And, you know, trying to use your MA to get an adjunct position at some college somewhere, you can get lots of different kinds of positions. Trying to get a professorial position with your PhD is far more competitive. Yes. And so suddenly all of that stuff that you were like, I guess I'll do a conference, I guess I'll do this, all of that becomes worth so much more. It and, becomes required. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and networking becomes required and all those things that as an MA student, you were like, I guess I'll I'll mess around with a little bit. Right. Um, now suddenly become kind of life or death, not, not much of an exaggeration. Mm -hmm. And so I wish that I had taken a break because I I felt like I was ready for it at the time, but I don't think I was. It didn't help that I went through a breakup in my, I think, first or second year that really impacted me. Um, but you, that professor that you mentioned you know, they said it out loud, but so few times it is said out loud. There are occasions like mm -hmm. that where it is, but so much of it is just, it's said with um, not necessarily a hushed tone, but it's, it's unsaid. It's, it's implied, right. it's heavily implied that you have to be doing these things to compete because other people are going to do them. And so if mm -hmm. you're not doing them, then it's only your fault that you can't get a job or that you can't right. get publications or you can't whatever. Academia it's is toxic. It's very toxic. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Let's because just say it. I mean, the system is set up in such a way that it absolutely privileges certain kinds of experience and voices and, and all that kind of stuff and personalities. And then it turns around at every step and says, well, if you're not successful, it's your fault. You mm -hmm. didn't have enough publications. You didn't have a this. You didn't have a that. And, um, you know, all of that stuff, privilege comes into play and experience oh, comes yeah. into play and connections it, come into play. And so then take that context that we've built for you and then place on top of that for any given individual, whatever personal shit that they're dealing with. Yeah. You know, um, you've referenced, you know, having a, a pretty hard breakup. I was still trying to navigate my my identity like that's mm -hmm. not earth shattering or anything um, and just not having support systems or even feeling like I could be honest about any of those things and reach out to people because sometimes if you reveal like the personal it's then kind of weaponized and used against you and so a lot of that stuff I think at least for me I just internalized it and I just like tried to deal with it on my own um, which isn't always you know it doesn't always lead to the most I guess healthy of um, 
means or maneuvers for, you know, trying to manage stuff while you're also, you know, attending grad school. Well, that's another part of the equation, right? Is that in in grad school, you're meant to be self-sufficient. You're told Mm -hmm. like you have to do, you have to produce all of your own work. Um, You you have to network, but you aren't necessarily collaborating. All of the coursework that you do is yours. All the papers, the conference presentations. Yeah. It's interesting because people are always telling you what you need to do, Mm -hmm. but then it's left entirely up to you. Right. Yeah. (laughs) It's like, wait a minute, when do I get to decide what I want to do? Where, where, exactly. Where's my, you know, there's a, there at our school, there's a UNIV 101 where it's like, they teach you Mm -hmm. how to college. Where's the grad school 101 where you teach us how to grad school. There's so many things about grad school that are just never explained. And for first gen students like us, like, well, you, you said your mom got her master's degree, right? But like, no, um, I, technically, I'm not a first gen student um, because my my dad has a bachelor's degree and my mom has an associate's degree. As far as going to grad school, grad I think school, that's a yeah. slightly different thing. Yeah, first gen grad um, grad student. Yeah, um, but I didn't know how to navigate for shit. Like yeah. there are still things where I'm like, "Hey, advisor," because <laughs> <laughs> you're often expected to just automatically know. But if you didn't have even if you knew someone who had already gone to grad school, the way that they had to navigate their program is not necessarily applicable to your school in your right. program. So Yeah. And I think I want to go back to the idea about living on your own for you, because that's something that I always thought about, too, was like I was always impressed with how you were able to move to a different state, move in an apartment by yourself mm-hmm. and like attend school. Like I started grad school. I was in a relationship. I was living with someone. But part of my big issue with my first and second year after that big breakup was that I was living on my own for the first time in a long time. Mm-hmm. And when you're an undergrad, a lot of times you either live in the dorms or you end up moving in an apartment with roommates and stuff right. like that. Um, but when when I started having to deal with Living on my own, there's definitely some perks to living on your own. Oh, yeah. But there's also, I mean, all of the responsibility of day-to-day life is yours. And you're also just not, like, unless you're, like, when I was in coursework, it was fine. But then when I finished coursework, I'm just at home by myself all the time. And so then I started reflecting on your experience of, like, from day one, that was you. was, like, living on your own, you know, paying rent and all that kind of stuff. So I mean, to be honest, it was you know, a little scary at times because I don't know what the fuck I was doing. (laughs) But I also didn't have anyone to turn to. I mean, until I I got to, you know, get to meet people in the cohort and, oh, that person in my cohort's also in this class. Okay, here's Mm -hmm. a connection. And, you know, getting to know you and stuff, you know, it it eventually got easier. But honestly, this is probably going to sound stupid to some people. My cat, Oliver, (laughs) has gotten me through grad school. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. my cat Bella. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and video games. <laughs> and video games. So let's let's so, shift. Yeah, let's fold that in. <laughs> yeah, we, we, boohooing about our own experiences enough. Let's get to <laughs> let's get to some some video games. Okay, so now that we've spun a nice cocoon of anxiety, let's talk about <laughs> grad school. How <laughs> how video how okay? I don't even want to say like how video games helped us because I don't know that that's true, but. Let's talk about how video games were. I like the word you used, wove or woven mm-hmm. um, into this experience. Okay. So for me, um, and I've mentioned this before on the podcast, I didn't have like easy access to video games really until I was an adult. So when I was a 
sophomore or a junior in undergrad, I bought a gaming PC. And then I also bought a PS3. And then if we flash forward a couple years in grad school, I bought um, a PS4. And so I was really in the beginning stages of like my gamer mode. And so going to grad school and being like super busy with coursework and teaching for the first time and grading 50 papers or whatever, I had to like manage my time, but I was definitely not in a place of like, I have to give up gaming. I was like, no, I'm going to find a way to make this work because I just got access to this thing that I really enjoy. Um, So... I definitely used gaming as an escape, but I there's so much like discourse around gaming that is like hypercritical of gaming. I don't want to like play into any of that. Right. Um but games did allow me an escape or it allowed me like a stress relief. Um and so I would turn to games that were either like um RPGs or like and or open world RPGs because then I could like immerse myself in this separate space and it allowed me to get into a different like headspace and to kind of like escape if you will the stress and the anxiety even if it was just for a couple of hours a night. Right. Um What was the question? <laughs> just kind of like how they were like- woven together. For me, I had a similar situation of uh, that you did at the beginning of grad school, which mm-hmm. was that like I had decided that I was going to make gaming a part of my life again. So it's interesting that we both had that because I, I had my last couple of years of my undergrad had not played video games as often. Like I would have to like really specifically make time like if a game came out, like I remember one of the Arkham games came out, I want to say Arkham Knight maybe. Um, and I like had to carve out specifically carve out time to play that. And so the last couple of years of, of my undergrad, I was starting to think like, Oh, I'm I'm starting to become one of those people that I'm like, I just don't have time for games anymore. And right. am I going to be one of those people that give up games? And I'm like, Oh, I remember back when I used to play games and that made me really sad. So when I started grad school, I was like, no, I'm, I'm making time for games. And like you said, I got a PS4 at launch. I was so, so, so excited for that. And so it sounds like for both of us at the beginning of our grad school journey, um, it starts with us being like, we're specifically making room in our lives for games, right? Yeah. I like committed myself to yeah. it. <laughs> sounds kind of weird, but that that is sort of how that worked. Right. Because um, if we talk about those expectations in grad school of like, well, you always have to be working, mm-hmm. it becomes like, you know, well, then why would I, I can't play video games, right? That's not right. working. That's, that's being lazy. Like that's the worst kind of, cause it's not even like going yeah. out for a walk or like reading. I a wouldn't book. tell anyone. Right. Like before you, uh, that was, that was to myself. I mean, right. I already had like the, like you mentioned imposter syndrome and I already felt very weird in our cohort because I was the, if I, I th- I'm pretty sure I was the only one coming from a more rural experience right. and just background. And so I felt very out of place. And so then add on to that, like, oh, I'm a major nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Kept that to myself. <laughs> um, which explains why very early on in our friendship, you found out that I was doing something with like video games and in the classroom <laughs> and you were like, hey, I don't want to. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> one of my people. <laughs> right. Um 
But yeah, so I think that's a, a really important note is like there could have been two very different situations here where we started grad school and we're like, well, now we definitely don't have time for games because mm-hmm. we should always be reading and writing and studying and all that kind of stuff. Um, but no, we were both like, we're going to make time for, for gaming. And it, it did end up helping us. So what were some of the games that that you remember specifically having some kind of direct impact or at least notable impact on like anxiety or you had some kind of experience with them that has something to do with like your anxious or anxiety experience with with grad school two games okay assassin's creed black flag and far cry 4 and i when i was thinking of those games earlier today i got this like flashback of it was this very desk in my first apartment um and I could imagine where it was set up and how I had the window there and I'd pop it open a little bit. It was like ground level and Oliver would sit up in the window, <laughs> birds chirping, and I'd be like playing those games on a Saturday or whatever. Um, both of those games, I think because open world, there's a story, um, really allowed me to just kind of get sucked into the worlds especially black flag like mm-hmm. i just i love the idea of like i can be a pirate i think that's one of the first games we were talking about right that we kind of connected over oh, I, yeah i think it was the first yeah. yeah um and it just really sucked me in and i felt like especially with that one because it was set back you know a ways in in time that it was just like a different world and so okay. i could really get into it um what about for you um, I hadn't thought of Black Flag. I really have one game that I want to talk about that had like a huge okay. impact, but but I do want to talk about Black Flag because that was maybe my last game that I can remember actually being able to enjoy over a break. But part of it was because I think that was our first winter break in grad mm-hmm. school and we had just gotten our PS4. So it was one of the first games I played on my PS4 and I felt so overwhelmed and over my in over my head with the first semester of grad school, um, I didn't maintain, or no, actually, I think I did maintain a 4.0. I did, I did get a 4.0 that first semester, but it was so hard. And I was like, I don't think I'm going to be able to keep this up. And what if I'm making a mistake, that kind of thing. And so over winter break, I was like, I just want to forget about all this stuff because I, and I couldn't really eventually, but that, (laughs) that winter break, I think in particular, and wasn't that the polar vortex? I think oh, that was the, yeah. the really bad, we had a really bad yeah. winter here in the Midwest and like feet and feet of snow, like sub, de- like regular sub-zero temperatures. One of the days it was like negative 40 with, without yes, wind chill. With the wind chill, yeah. No, without. It was like without, without wind. The one day it was oh, like God, negative 34, wow, yeah. 40 or something. It was one of the worst winters yeah. that I've ever experienced. And, and so, I grew up in Michigan. <laughs> so you go on winter break after this very stressful semester and you can't go outside because yeah, your face will stuck. literally freeze. So guess what? You get to pretend like you're in the Caribbean. Yeah. And the PS4 graphics were so beautiful at the time. And you just get to be out on a pirate ship. And so I remember that being such a... And it's one of the reasons that it's one of my favorite games. Because I think part of, partly just that experience of over winter break having something to turn to and just lose yourself like you said get completely Mm -hmm. immersed in this pirating life but what about far you said you mentioned far cry 4 that seems like an interesting choice Mm -hmm. so far cry 4 was 
oh God, was that spring of 2014 maybe? I can't remember if it was a spring or a fall game, but it was 2014. Okay. Um, and it would have been pretty sure part part of, uh, during part of a semester. Um, that for me really helped because there's something about being able to like hop into a game and have like some sort of quick i guess like combat and gunplay yeah (laughs) to be a little bit of um stress relief and also it really helped because far cry is a game where like there's always a story but maybe the story isn't necessarily the most memorable but what can be the most fun or entertaining about it is that later iterations uh, in the in the franchise don't take themselves too seriously and so you can hop in chuck you know an explosive at a honey badger (laughs) and shoot up some guys with some arrows or like fly what were the little flying things in that game oh because they weren't it wasn't a full-blown helicopter it was uh Uh, uh, roto or gyro or something yeah like a gyrocopter is that something what it's like called? that I, yeah it's literally like, just a chair strapped to some yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> like that is far cry yeah um that was especially helpful for me <laughs> <laughs> um because it's absurd it's ridiculous and i feel like it's, yeah sometimes it's a little bit like mindless fun but that was at times the most valuable to just escape the pressure of like the next 25 page paper that was due or, you know, like maybe I just got done grading a stack of papers and I really needed to like take a break, you know? Yeah. Um, and even if it was, you know, uh, maybe one weekend you'd be able to play a game for like six hours a day or whatever, but then the next, like, I really don't have time. So I'm only going to get to play for a couple of hours. Um, having games like that just really helped me to maintain a certain level of sanity, we'll yeah. say. Absolutely. Um, and plus, again, it's another game that's set in a beautiful, like, tropical location. Um, and it was a very, it was a very pretty game. So for me, yeah. visuals are, are important. And sometimes just being in a beautiful virtual space is, like, yes. enough to... Yeah, especially one that's so different from just the flat Midwest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think I know there were there was, that was one of the complaints about Far Cry Five was like, oh, it's in America and it's all boring and stuff like that. But it's like, mm-hmm. I don't live in the the Northwest. You know what I mean? Like the Northwest is right. beautiful to me. Like I would love to spend some time out there. So even that game, it wasn't quite as like colorful mm-hmm. and quote unquote exotic or anything like that. But um. For me, it was still unique being in its from own way. Chicago, I was uh, yeah, it was plenty exotic. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, my big game that helped me out a lot, and I didn't quite realize it was a little game that we talked about on a previous show called Stardew Valley, mm-hmm. and it was a game that you had played and you were recommending to me, and I don't remember did I play it on Switch? Was I was I waiting for the Switch release? I think I was. You didn't start on PC? I, I thought I did start on PC, actually. So maybe I started on PC and then okay. I played Switch I later. Um, but I remember you recommending it to me. And you had loved the um, Harvest Moon games. Yep. I had never played one. And so the game did not really... It, the game looked very cute. And I liked the idea that you could like date someone and get married and all that kind of stuff. That all sounded very cute. 
But when you would describe it, you were like, you have this farm and you have to farm and make money. Right. And I was like, wait a minute. So I'm I'm so stressed out about all these responsibilities that I have in grad school. And you want me to play this game where I have Stress. daily responsibilities. <laughs> I was like, ah. So that kind of made me put it off for a while. And then I got to a point where um, I started realizing that one of the biggest problems with this specific type of grad school anxiety or stress, uh, and I, I understand that I'm using those two things interchangeably. I know some people are like anxiety is a disorder and and everything. Um, I was diagnosed with anxiety later, but I know looking back that at the time I had definite hallmarks of certain types of anxiety, generalized anxiety, certain types of social anxiety. Um, and so one of the things, one of the manifestations of that for me was like we talked about this idea that I couldn't really relax. So you would you would go through and you would do all of your coursework and do your reading and write your papers for your class. And then you'd go and course prep and, and lesson plan and grade papers for your teaching. And you would start planning and, and maybe thinking about your next presentation for a conference and all that stuff. And you would finally be like, okay, now I have time to relax. Mm -hmm. But the problem is you can never really relax because there's always something that you can be doing. There's more yep. that you can read. There's more that you can prep. There's more that you can grade. And so, it's not just you knowing that. You're constantly told that. Right. Yeah. Oh, like, well, have you have you done this yet? Have you done that yet? And so when for me, and I, I've heard other people say the same thing, but like for me, I couldn't then take breaks anymore. Anytime I tried to watch a movie or play a game, I felt like shit. I wasn't actually enjoying myself. I wasn't mm -hmm. relaxing. I would get done with that movie or that game and be like, I shouldn't have done that. I should I should have been working. Um, I'm being lazy. And so it was at this point where that was really sort of coming to a head that I decided I'll just give Stardew Valley a try. Like Tab's been talking about it. We can talk mm -hmm. about it and chat about it. And if I don't like it, I don't like it. Like it doesn't sound like the kind of game that like is, has this huge overarching narrative. So right. it's not like I'm going to, you know, have to feel pressured into finishing it or anything. If I play for a few days and I give up, I give up. And I started and I was like, okay, it's very cute. I can tell it's immediately inspired by a lot of like the classic JRPG uh, entries on the Super Nintendo. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a lot of very familiar, very cute sp sprite work and everything. And um, and then it's like, oh, you know, here, make this, make this, this farm. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, you don't, you ha you don't have any money. And I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> I have to get some money and I'm so getting money and I finally get enough money to buy seeds and I plant the seeds and I'm like, okay, this feels nice. I'm like watering the seeds and they, they sprout. So I'm like, okay, well now I can get more money because I don't have any money. So I bring it and I sell it and I'm like, ah, oh, I have a little bit of money and I'm like, wait, but I just pulled up all my, now I got to plant more. Ah, I got to buy more seeds. And so I'm like, I don't know, man, this game seems like a lot of stress. And before I realized it, I was, I'd been playing for hours I had a nice little farm going. I had a checklist of things that I wanted to get done. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many things that you can do in this game. You can fish. You can go mining. You can go foraging. You can work on your farm. You can work on your relationships with people in town. Um, all of these different things. You can work on finishing the, um, the community center. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like a lot. And it is. But there was actually something that I found comforting. And I didn't realize it at first. I was just like, I found myself playing the game a lot, day after day. And it's a great game for, for grad school in particular because the days are about, I think they're like 15 minutes long or so. Yeah. 
And so you can literally just tell yourself, okay, I don't have a lot of time. I'm going to play two days and then mm-hmm. cut myself off. As soon as I go to bed on the second day, that's it. And so I, that's how I was using it. it. was like I would use it as like a reward for things. So I would say, once you get all your grading done, you can play two days of Stardew Valley. And so I would do that. And then I found myself playing and the hours were just adding up. And then I was like, I don't, this doesn't make sense. Like, let me think about this. <laughs> and it actually did make perfect sense because the anxiety that had been cultivated by grad school for me was a, a, an anxiety centered around accomplishment. You mm-hmm. always have to be accomplishing things. Stardew Valley is a game about constant accomplishments. You're constantly doing things. And so even though I was quote unquote playing a video game and not quote unquote being productive, I actually was being productive. I was accomplishing things. And so it scratched a very specific kind of itch within me and provided me with something where it's like I can actually relax and my anxiety is not going to be telling me that I'm wasting my time because I'm tricking my anxiety into thinking that I'm doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Because I got those new, I got that new harvest in. I planted that new, I finally got strawberry seeds. You I get f- to see the accomplishment in front right. of you. And quite often in grad school, you don't get to at least immediately see the yeah. thing. Um, I think that's important. Yeah. And I think you can play Stardew Valley in many different ways. Some people play it mm-hmm. in a really chill, relaxed kind of way. For me, because of my anxiety at that point in time, especially again around accomplishment, I wasn't necessarily trying to min-max it, but I was looking at like, well, what are all the things that I want to I want to find someone to to romance? I want to be on good terms with as many people as I can. I want to mm-hmm. be able to afford the upgrades to the backpack and get the fishing pole and get better crops. I want to be able to expand my farm. I want to be able to finish the community center. I had all these things that I wanted to do, but and so there's a lot of plates spinning, but I was able to keep them all spinning and keep them juggling and I, I realized after like probably a hundred plus hours of playing, I was like, this <laughs> is doing something for me. It's so, it was so weird. I'd never had a game do that before because it, a game always felt like I was putting all that other stuff on pause and trying to ignore it in order to play this game. And mm-hmm. for some reason with Stardew Valley, again, that's not really the case. It's still a game that I'm still spending outside of, you know, I'm right, spending right. time on outside of my, my work. Um, But it really tricked my brain and made me feel like I was both having fun and working. And not that that's the most most healthy. I shouldn't even have been in that mindset to begin with. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, But it was sort of inescapable at the time. And so Stardew Valley was, um, I I don't know if I would say a lifesaver. That might be a little bit too dramatic. But it definitely provided me with with a very specific kind of solace at a time that I really, really Mm -hmm. needed it. So, yeah. I think it's so interesting. Um, I mean, obviously our, our journeys are, you know, unique in their own right, but there's some crossover and, and you found that in a game that is quite charming and can be slow paced and just kind of chill. Whereas I was like, I'm going to go shoot some shit in Far Cry. (laughs) You're like, I just want to kill things. I just, that's, I get so angry at these professors. (laughs) Oh God. (laughs) I want to throw some TNT at a bear. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but but I think that just shows that like there's not really one, and this goes all the way back to the very beginning, there's not really one um, approach for everyone. So we both had 
anxieties that were unique in our own rights, but were mm-hmm. coming from the same culture. And right. so we're manifesting themselves in some very similar ways. But we found different ways to alleviate or, um, again, I don't want to use the word treat, um, yeah. but but to help with the struggle with that particular kind of anxiety on our own, very different experiences. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting, um, for me, the sort of phases of that. So like during the master's program, I was able to use video games, I think in a very specific way as like a a distraction and escape, uh, a means to sort of maybe mitigate some stress and anxiety. Um, but then like where I'm at now, um, I just submitted the full near final version of the dissertation before my my defense next month. And I have been struggling since doing that. And it's it's because there's such this this buildup when you're when you're a doctoral student and you know, like this is the thing you need to be focused on while also juggling publications, conferences, all that other stuff we mentioned. Um, and I you know, I sat down to play some games and I was like, this just doesn't feel right because I'm stuck so much in that headspace of work, 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 even though I've been working on this thing for fucking two years, you know? Um, And I feel like turning to something familiar like Far Cry 5 is maybe slowly allowing me to sort of chip away at that and be like, okay, just, just exist. Right. (laughs) Just exist without the work. Um, so I think even the sort of, I guess, approach to managing the stress and anxiety and the expectations, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, can, can differ over time too. I Cause think like it's... T- turning to games right now is not immediately hooking me and being like, okay, I can just relax. You know, it's like the slow easing into it. Well, cause I think it, it, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier about always feeling like we have to be doing something. I feel like it's mm-hmm. about some kind of like psychic or um physiological momentum of yeah. like you're always moving forward but when you do to something to enjoy yourself it feels like you're screeching to a halt because you're not doing right. something that and the, the thing that really sucks is that a lot of it is is based on virtually nothing is like we don't really have any anyone monitoring our lives and saying mm-hmm. you know you're not doing the right thing And yet we feel like we do, you know, Mm -hmm. because we see people, you know, and we hear professors and other academics talking about, well, you have to be doing A, Y, B, you know, A, Y, B, and C. What the fuck? (laughs) That's, this is where grad school gets you kids. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know my ABCs. Um, But like, you have to be doing, you know, X, Y, and Z. And, and so it just, you always have that specter over your shoulder of being like, what are you doing that? Are you doing that? Like, mm-hmm. are you going to be successful? Probably not because you're not doing the right thing. So um, for me, it, it's a great system to shirk the the responsibility of institutions absolutely. and systems. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Academia um, is very progressive in some ways and very archaic and others and i think that conflicts because at at, you know at times they love to kind of pat themselves on the back and say you know look how you know student-centered we are or um how humanist we are or whatever and then they they, like you said they shirk responsibilities and say well it's not our fault if you fail it's not our fault if you got yourself into trouble because we didn't you know the the infrastructure that we provided to you was flawed but um 
but yeah, I, f- f- w- another thing that helped me, and this is not a specific game, but when I switched my focus, so for the, when we were in the master's program, I was studying film and literature. That was really the only track that was close to what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did my master's thesis on the relationship between scientific discovery and poetry, very different from, from <laughs> film and lit. <laughs> but when I started my PhD, I was inspired by the work that you and I had done on the class that integrated video games. Mm -hmm. And I was like, there's got to be a way that I can. I was so frustrated by my study of film and literature because I was like, why are we not studying video games in the same way? There's a decades long tradition of studying film very seriously as this quote unquote high art form. And the way that we talk about and study video games was not the same. And so I wanted to apply that same sort of lens to video games and it turns out there is work out there that's being done but in my experience much of it is done by people who are opportunistic or products of the system that we're talking about where you have to publish or peril or or, sorry (laughs) publish or perish Mm -hmm. um and you're in peril there there we go we should add that to the (laughs) to the phrase um and so there's a lot of people that were like, ooh, video game the st- video game studies is this kind of hot upcoming new field. I can get something published by just writing about this thing. And there's a lot of video game studies um, from the last 20 years that are very obviously written by people who don't play video games very much. Mm-hmm. And so part of me now, I've reframed my thinking with like, and this is not done to be kind of selfish and lazy or anything like that. But like when I play video games, I am keeping current. You and I had um, recommended a video game scholar, James Paul G, to be invited to speak at our um, keynote at our, was it the uh, Graduate Student Association or something? I think so. And he accepted and we were, we were blown. Yeah, we were like, yeah. Oh my God, this, that's amazing. Um, and so we got, because we recommended him, we, we got the opportunity to drive him to and from mm-hmm. the airport and on the way to, to drop him off, I think it was to drop him off. Right. Or no, you weren't, were you there when we dropped him off? No, I wasn't. I wasn't. So, so when we picked him up. Yeah. yeah. And, and you were like, do you still play games? And he's like four hours a day. He's like, I have a, a setup in my office mm-hmm. and I, every day I play for four hours. That was so inspiring to me because because he said, he's like, people can tell. If you are not fluent in the literacy of video games, people can tell. And I was like, that is part of the reason that his writing is so compelling because I can tell right. that he understands video games. Um, and I just want to say this is true for anything. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if you... <laughs> are relying on just being like an outside it does depend on the thing right Right. um but if we're talking about media or social media whatever if you are not literate in that it's going to show in your work right and i i was thinking because i was very that was when i was starting to switch over to studying video games and i was like i was so frustrated because i'm like why do people in film studies watch film all the time? And they're like, well, that's part of my, you know, as a mo- as a film scholar, I feel like I have yeah. to keep up on movies or literature or whatever, like you said, almost anything. Um, but with video games, I was sit- sitting here feeling like I'm wasting my time because society still doesn't value video games. We still mm-hmm. look at them as something that's fun or kind of juvenile or a time waster or whatever. 
Um, and, and so it took me a while to break out of that. But now when I play video games, I try to play a lot of video games and I try to keep current. Um, and it really is truly because that's, that's what I'm doing. And I recognize in other scholars when they're not necessarily fluent in the literacy. And that's not to say that you have to be fluent to have something valuable to say. Right. There's plenty of people that don't have the privilege to play a lot of video games that mm -hmm. do have very interesting things to say. Um, but I have the privilege to partake in a lot of current video games. So I'm trying to, to lean into that a little bit. And, um, and I don't know about you, but even if you couldn't tell scholar between scholar A and scholar B where A has played the video game and B hasn't, even if you couldn't tell, I just wouldn't feel right producing work mm -hmm. knowing that like I didn't experience the thing. And I feel, I feel that way about Twitch too. I mean, okay. Talk about video games being dismissed. There are so many people who are like, why the hell would you watch someone play a video game? Like it's right. equally as dismissed, if not even more so. Um, I would feel, I don't know, I, I would feel like a fake if I didn't actually have a handle on the platform mm. and what happens there. And of course, only a, a single person can only play so many video games or watch so many channels on Twitch. But at least being involved in those spaces or with those texts, I feel more credible. Yeah. Even if even if other people don't know that I've spent however many hours watching Twitch or however many hours playing, you know, Far Cry. Right. Yeah, because we're still, uh, we both still have imposter syndrome. We probably always will. I'm probably never going to feel like I know enough about video games or about mm -hmm. Japanese culture or whatever I'm talking about. Um, but I think just constantly, you know, keeping up with it helps a lot. And like you said, it's going to, eventually it'll lead to a body of knowledge that makes us feel more comfortable, I hope, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I... I'm getting better about like, okay, so the more the more you learn, the more you realize, oh, wow, I don't know all of this stuff mm -hmm. over here, right? I think I'm becoming more comfortable with that because I have tried to embrace a sense of inquiry in my life in like all things. Um, but you have to be careful not to slip too much into the like, oh, God, I have no right to be talking about right. X, Y, and Z, like letting the imposter syndrome take over. Well, yeah, it's not the, easy, though. <laughs> right. Because there there will be people that um, probably know less than you that will then get published because they decided mm -hmm. to take the chance, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, all right. Anything else we want to talk about with regards to video games and anxiety in grad school? Play games. They can be good for you. Yeah. Make <laughs> make time. Like, I, I think we've avoided giving any kind of recommendations, you know, because everyone has their own issues and journeys mm -hmm. um, other than recommending therapy. And if you are in grad school, then look into your school's um, therapy programs. We both had you didn't have a great experience trying to get therapy through our, our program, but I did. <laughs> And it was yeah. free of cost. Our our student fees cover therapy on campus. Yeah. Grad school or not, consider therapy. Yeah. I am of the I have become of the mindset of everyone could benefit from it. Yeah. But you do have to kind of shop around to find the therapist that will that will work for you. Yeah. Your therapist fucking plays video games. So you it's guys amazing. talk about video we games. We talk about Ghost of Tsushima <laughs> all the time. <laughs> you the one time you were like we had a lot to talk about then right at the end she's like I know we're out of time but what have you I been know, playing? She brings ah, it up. It's amazing. <laughs> that's really that's what I want. That's what I'm uh. looking for. Um but yeah, definitely look into therapy. Uh definitely consider making time for your hobbies, whether it's video mm -hmm. games, movies, yeah, whatever fandoms, it is. whatever it is. 
Um, it might take some work. It might feel uncomfortable at first, but mm-hmm. try to make it a part of your routine. And sometimes that will help kind of get it uh, to feeling more normalized. Um, and then, you know, reach out to people, you know, yeah. Tab and I were very lucky that we had each other at that point in time because we both were feeling pretty lonely and we both were living on our own and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and then through video games, we formed yeah. a friendship and, and we had each other from then on. So, um, what are we talking about next week? So with, uh, summer on the horizon, uh, we were both thinking about, video games that we associate with summer so we're going to be talking about in general games we associate with certain seasons yeah i'm I'm very excited for summer and i think that this was one of those topics that just came up naturally because we were we were like like talking about summer games that we were going to play and then we were talking about games that like wow that reminds me of summer that feels like summer and we're like that's so weird that games have those like they may they feel like a certain Mm -hmm. you know season so yeah so we're gonna get into that uh thank you so much for listening if you uh, would like to reach us send us any questions about grad school or anything like that you can hit us up at pretty pixels podcast at gmail.com i am on twitter at losperman and until next week game on no other podcast <laughs> ah, we need a sign off we need, we a, need a sign, sign off. off just a standard until sign off. then all right until next time <laughs> Uh, bye.